Welcome to the New Money Review podcast, the future of money in 30 minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. We're a periodical covering the changes in money, which are getting faster and more confusing. New types of money arrive out of nowhere, like Bitcoin. Payments get faster and cheaper. Cash goes out of fashion and mobile payments take over. Some people are on the inside track, others risk being left behind. Money attracts the cleverest criminals who always seem to stay ahead of the game. Our podcast takes a big picture look at these trends. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and society with it. Each week we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast, you can stay up to date with what's going on in money and prepare yourself for what lies ahead. My guest on the podcast this week is Rich Turin, who's a former banker, a technologist and an expert on China's push into digital payments. Rich, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your area of work? Sure. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Rich Turin, and I am the author of two books. Um, the first one is on innovation, and it's called Innovation Lab Excellence. And the second, which is domain for our chat today, is called Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. And it's all about the changes that are coming not just to China, but coming to you soon as we all enter the new world of central bank digital currencies and digital currencies overall. Um, I got into this because I used to be a banker for about 18 years. I worked on trading floors and I was the guy who worked with a combination of uh, coders and math. I'm a mathematician by trade. And after my career in banking, I worked for IBM for about five years where I worked in fintech and bringing even more technology to banks. So um, that's how, excuse me, that's how I got into this. And I've been living in China for about the past 10 years. And I lived firsthand through China going cashless, a place where I needed every week to have large wads of 100 RMB notes in my pocket to a place where I don't have any cash and haven't touched any for ages and pay with everything, pay with my phone for everything. So that's uh, that's where the book came from. And it's great to be here. Okay, thanks, Rich. That's a, a very helpful introduction. I've uh, been reading your book. Uh, you kindly shared a, a, a link to the chapters on LinkedIn, and I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's really been a, a very helpful uh, scene setter for what's going on in China, in technology, in fintech. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, you mentioned this in the book uh, for anyone who's interested in, in, in going to read it directly. But you mentioned that you, you think that the, the people outside Ch- China generally uh, do not understand what's going on in the area of digital payments, uh, mobile apps, artificial intelligence, uh, all these areas of technology where China has taken a big leap ahead. Uh, why do you think people outside China don't understand what's going on? Oh, sure. Um, that's a great question. And it's really the best question to start on. Um Most people think of China as simply too far away to bother with, or they think of China in a couple of ways. They say, well, China is a great place, but it copies. Whatever they've got, we've got. And many have not made the transition to understanding that China is a tremendously innovative country and that, in fact, on a digital front, 
you're looking at a country now that where the West is now copying from China rather than China copying from the West. So you can look at um, TikTok is probably the best example where you've got a video app launched in China, went number one globally, and now you've got the likes of Facebook and other major um, social media companies copying TikTok's functionality. So you've got the West copying China rather than the other way around. Um, the second thing, and let's hit this right from the beginning, is many people think, well, China is different. And what they always mean when they say China is different is they mean China's communist. And, you know, the reality is, well, China is uh, socialist, uh, communist with, China's, uh, with Chinese characteristics. That's the term that's used. The reality is it's very free market here. And while you can see, clearly see China as a communist country, um, the digital innovation in payment was all brought about by free market companies, by WeChat or Tencent, the parent of WeChat, and by uh, Ad Group, um, the, the parent company of Alipay. Um, and these were not government-led, government-pushed, government-directed achievements. They were uh, achievements done on the uh, open market. So um, those are a couple of reasons why it's very hard for people to sort of wrap their hands around that the fact that China's innovating and that this is uh, digital payment in particular is an area where we can actually learn from China and should learn from China because what happened here is indicative of our own cashless future. So um, if you look at um, how we use money in China and how our relationship to money has changed once it's gone digital, those changes, even though it's a long way away, even though China's different, those changes are going to be universal. So if you want to see the West's future, look to China. So that's the basic premise of the book, my book, Cashless. Um, and what I try to do is to introduce people to what happened in China and to take them on this path to showing them um, why what happened here is relevant and to a certain degree will happen in the West. Let me ask you a question at that point, Rich. So I, I've gone pretty much cashless in the last year as a result of, you know, like everybody else, I guess, the impact of coronavirus, doing up, doing shopping online rather than in person in many cases. Um, now, when I go on, when I have gone, as for me, going cashless has meant uh, in the UK, uh, putting a representation of my bank debit card, a Visa debit card on my phone and then using the phone to tap and pay wherever I go. Um, now, how is that different from what uh, is happening in China? Sure. Let's uh, very real simple. Tap and pay is exactly that. It's just simply a way to use your credit card. And embedded in that credit card is a 2 or 3% charge to the vendor and all the payment processors in between. What it's not is an ecosystem. Even if you look at uh, Google Pay or Apple Pay, these are simple ways of putting a credit card onto your telephone. What they don't really represent is an ecosystem or a trusted ecosystem of products and services. So when I use 
Alipay or when I use WeChat Pay, the two primary uh, uh, payment systems in China right now, before, because we don't have the central bank digital currency yet, it's coming. But if I look at these two uh, systems that control 94% of the market of the mobile payment marketplace, I'm not just swiping a card or making it easier to swipe a card. I'm in an entire ecosystem of products, services, investment, every element of my financial life from insurance to asset management um, to simple bank deposits and tr money transfers. Everything is done uh, on this ecosystem and on this platform. So um, it would be hard to think of uh, your credit card company as a digital platform. They may offer you points, mileage points, which are nice, or um, you may have some kind of card that does something special. Cashback cards are popular, but there's no real ecosystem involved and there's no platform involved. And that's what really makes uh, payment in uh, China a very different game. So if I'm, if I'm uh, in China and I want to use WeChat Pay or Alipay, I take some money from my bank account and charge it onto one of those uh, systems. Is that, is that how it works? Um, yeah, you can either charge it onto your system or the Alipay, WeChat Pay takes it directly from the bank. Okay. But, in all, not... but in all, here's the thing. In all cases, in all cases, it's free. So you're not looking at you know, a vendor is not looking at an upfront cost of 2% to own a point of sale device and to access money. So what really happens is um, because these platforms allow for person to person, business to person, uh, money transfers that are all essentially free, you have greater control of where your money goes. So let me let me tell you a story. OK, so basically for me to pay my rent in China, it's a one button push. I find the person on WeChat. I put the amount of money that I'm going to transfer and I push go. Right. So I recently started paying. So I have some bills to pay in the United States and I have to use the cash. The and my bank gives me two options in the United States. It gives me one option which is to input the address and they will physically mail a check, which is positively uh, stone age, uh, stone age. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I, it's just beyond. I, I don't even know what to say. OK. And the other and the other option is a bank service called Zelle, Z-E-L-L-E. And that minute and that maximizes my it, it, my maximum transfer I think is around eighteen to two thousand dollars on Zelle. So for me to pay rent or some significant bills, I have to make multiple Zelle payments and my max so if I have anything over a two thousand dollar bill, I have to pay them multiple times over multiple days. So I have to do two thousand one day, wait twenty four hours, do the other two thousand the next. So it's not quite up to WeChat's level of smoothness just yet. Right. So how, how I mean, you, you described uh, very you know, helpfully how these systems contrast. How big a deal is it for China to have this system where people can transfer money peer to peer effectively at zero cost? 
it's all right, ready? At the risk of sounding melodramatic to your audience, it's everything. Suddenly, there is something new that happens. Your money is your own, and it is free to go where you want it to go without anyone telling you you can't. Now, let's make a couple of obvious caveats to this. Number one, yes, there are limitations on WeChat. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, uh, but yes, I can't send $20,000 in a WeChat payment or 140,000 RMB. There's limits, okay? But the reality is it changes your relationship to money and it changes your relationship with your financial institutions because suddenly your money can go wherever you want it to go with a button push and there's no 2%, 3% charge involved. There's no going to the bank to get a, uh, a, a cashier's check that we have at the system that we have in the United States. Um, it's tremendously liberating, and it's, of course, tremendously liberating to small vendors in China. Remember, if you deal with a co your local coffee shop, okay, your coffee shop has to pay for a point-of-sale system. That point-of-sale system is hardwired through cables into a digital cash transfer network that is controlled by Visa, MasterCard, or whatever uh, corresponding banks are involved, all right? Suddenly, you've got, with WeChat and Alipay, you've got a mobile means of accepting payment that is free, that is accessible to even the poorest and most humble person in China with a mobile phone. So if you were to look at my noodle shop, who sells luncheon noodles for $1.50 or, you know, uh, or for 20 RMB. This person is invited to join the digital cashless revolution because having this system is no cost to them. There is no point of sale device. There is no, I'm the credit card company. I'm your bank. I, I require my my rent, my percentage of the of the cash transfer. It's free. Um, there is, just to be clear, there is a small charge of around 0.1%. Let's get that right. 0.1% to push money back from a WeChat cash account into your bank. So there is a little charge there, but it's mostly negligible. And you don't have to push the money back to your bank if you don't want to. So, right. So just to explain that noodle seller example. You go to the noodle seller, you have your lunch, and you pay by uh, scanning the noodle seller's QR code with your phone, and then you just transfer the money that way. Absolutely. So let's look for somebody who's never seen WeChat and Alipay at work. Let me explain it to you very, very briefly, <coughs> uh, and let me contrast the the. The philosophy of why the why WeChat and Alipay made China into a cashless country compared to NFC with Google and Apple Pay. So, how NFC is, is near field communication, which is the technology that uh, underlies contactless card payments. Absolutely. And, so, and, and, yeah. so um, 
on my phone is an app. That app is WeChat and Alipay. Everybody in China has both. We use them a little bit differently. Alipay is usually used for bigger bills. WeChat is used for coffee shops and paying friends because it has this social component, social messaging, like a like a like a uh, a WhatsApp messenger uh, app attached to it, so we can send money to and to and from friends. So. Basically, I pull the app up, I push a button, and a QR code comes up, and someone can scan, the vendor can scan my QR code, all right, and when they scan it, uh, I automatically get the money deducted. Alternatively, if the vendor is really small, they oftentimes have their QR code open, and uh, I scan them, and I send 20 RMB. And their phone goes bing, and it actually speaks. It says 20 RMB received, and you're done. So that whole process uses two cell phones. And when this launched in 2014, the goal of the designers of both WeChat Pay and Alipay was to make these apps work on the cheapest, lowest grade Android cell phone that you could find in the market. Their way of saying everyone is included. If you got a phone, you can use this. You know, no high-end equipment required. Now, contrast this for a moment to 2014 and the launch of Apple Pay. Apple Pay was launched with the iPhone 6. In order to use Apple Pay, you had to buy the new iPhone 6, which contained NFC, near field communication, because the earlier versions of iPhone didn't have it. So if you want to, if you were an existing iPhone user and you had a three, four or five, no go, you can't use it. So you had to buy into the concept of using Apple Pay, just like your local coffee shop may not, if it wasn't, if your local coffee shop wasn't a Starbucks, Costa, one of the big ones, they didn't have Apple Pay for a while because they had to buy a new point of sale system to use it. And it may or may not have paid for itself. Rich, so, can you just put it into context? The, the, is it what, what percentage of China's population has WeChat Pay and Alipay? Uh, there's over uh, the, the statistics are over a billion users for um, uh, for. Uh, I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to make sure I get the the right the right one here. I think it's like a billion users for WeChat, and uh, something like 900 million for Alipay. I don't have the numbers off the top of my top of my head, but it's and that's compared uh, to 1.4 billion population. Uh, yes, compared to 1.4 billion, and I think it's something like 84 percent of the payments made in the country are actually done on these apps. Um, it's truly mind-blowing. Two and a half times China's GDP, or roughly 50 trillion, is uh, is transferred on these mobile apps. Was transferred on these mobile apps in 2019, uh, or two and a half times GDP. And the reason it can be a multiple of GDP is that these payments just go cycling through the system. 
over and over and over again. Even payments, you know, payments like from me to you that don't necessarily, you buy me a coffee. So you pay 40 RMB for the coffee. I then pay you back 20 RMB. Well, the 20 RMB I paid you back doesn't go to a GDP figure. GDP figure, it goes to just a payment figure. So that's how you can get multiples of Let GDP. Let me ask you that point, Rich. You, you mentioned that anyone can use the system, but that is anybody within China or resident in China. It's not available to people. I mean, I know that there are some exceptions for people traveling and, and using those apps abroad, but I just wanted to understand how you qualify to be part of the network. You have to provide some ID information. You know, what's the KYC uh, sure. uh, barrier to get into the systems? Sure. Right now, the users for Alipay and WeChat Pay are those with Chinese bank accounts, which means they've gone through a uh, KYC process that's in China. Now, within China, there's digital KYC. You've got an ID card and you've got a telephone and a telephone mobile phone, and that mobile phone number and ID card are tied to one another. So KYC is very digital and very automatic. Um, but yes, Alipay and WeChat Pay are not generally available for payments outside of China. I'm sure there are some, some exceptions there, but by and large, not available for private use for private citizens, say in the UK or the United States. Certainly available for commercial use in that if you're a shopkeeper, you can take Alipay or WeChat Pay as a means of payment. And of course, anybody who's been to a duty-free shop in any airport before COVID hit, uh, you know, there's Alipay and WeChat Pay symbols everywhere because, um, because duty-free wants to make taking money easy. So it okay. makes sense. Okay. The, 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 so the potential usage of uh, Chinese payments technology outside the country brings me to the question of, the, the soon-to-be-released China, uh, China, Chinese uh, central bank digital currency, CBDC, or, or DCEP, as it's often re referred to. What impact do you think that this uh, digital currency is going to have globally? Sure. Um, great question. And the answer is it will be a game changer. So for all friends of cryptocurrency, I will make this admission immediately so that no one is up is under any false pretense. China's central bank digital currency is not a cryptocurrency. It borrows certain technological elements from crypto, including tokenization, you tokenize money, and it allows for digital transfer. However, it has very strict KYC behind it, and it is, of course, not anonymous. So, in certain ways, you could think of uh, China's central bank digital currency as the antichrist of crypto. So it is not Bitcoin. It will not have the anonymity associated with cryptos. So now that that's out of the way, let's say, let's say what it does do. Um, central bank digital currency here in China will allow for digital payment that is off of WeChat and Alipay, meaning that a company, in this case, Alipay or Tencent, who owns WeChat, will not be responsible for the transference of money. The transference of money will be handled by the networks handled by the People's Bank of China, the central bank. 
um, and the central bank digital currency is the legal currency of China, just like paper RMB is the official currency. And you can transfer it for free. There are limits of how much you can transfer, but of course you can go back and forth. Your money is your own. You can transfer it. And you, however, just to be clear, and I know you've got a lot of crypto fans there, there is none of the uh, confidentiality associated with cryptocurrency. This is KYC money. And yes, the government will be able to track uh, where your money goes. But for all practical purposes, it brings that ease of money transfer outside of corporate uh, uh, payment rails uh, to, to money in China. And it so will bring it internationally eventually. Okay, so if I'm outside China in, in, in the future, assuming that this is eventually becomes available for international users, does that mean I will have to provide my identity information to the Chinese authorities? Yes. So let's let's look at the rollout here. We don't know exactly when China's central bank digital currency will make its debut on the international scene. It has just it is under trial in about four or five cities in China right now and will likely be launched at the Olympics next year. If we are, of course, able to have an Olympics um, or soon thereafter, that will be the domestic official rollout for the central bank digital currency in China. After domestic rollout, you will see central bank digital currency used for trade on a trial basis. So certain companies in certain countries will be able to pay for purchases made from Chinese companies using central bank digital currency. After a while, um, it will be rolled out within certain countries because it's a legality issue. China doesn't want to roll out its central bank digital currency in country X, if country X says it's illegal to use it, right? So um, after that, it'll be rolled out in countries and people who trade with China will be, be able to use it. And sometime after that, potentially uh, 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 some, some people who do business will be able to use it between themselves. I don't see it making it to... A, an individual in the UK, for example, paying an individual in the United States. I don't see that happening unless, of course, they are both involved with a company that trades with China. I don't see that on a, unless they're companies, I don't see that individual transfer happening for some years to come. Right. So, but it's a very, so, but you've described uh, th things that the, Chinese authorities surely have been thinking about and are looking at when it comes to the you know the longer term impacts of their projects. Right. So for them, from what I can glean, there is no master plan. I have to read between the lines on a lot of press releases and see what's what they're saying. The first international use will be among trading partners with China. Trading partners with China already have RMB-based bank accounts. They have KYC. So for them to use digital RMB to settle their trade is no great leap. 
And then the next step will be, okay, expanding that network um, on an international basis to different countries and to increasing number of companies who might want to use digital RMB for trade because it's fast, cheap, or they have preferential exchange rate or other reasons um, to use the, the digital currency. What I don't see happening very soon is this concept of personal to person, person to person, central bank, China central bank digital currency transfer for two people who do not have China bank accounts. Does that make right. sense? The, 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 yeah, it does. But the, 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 but the, the, you know, the use by uh, importers and exporters uh, outside China could be, you know, could, you know, switching from denominating transactions in, in dollars or their the domestic currencies, let's say in Australia or Japan, to using the digital RMB would have a very significant impact in, in the global uh, foreign exchange system. So yeah. look, because, so uh, let's, yeah. Yeah. So let's look at, look, the, the question is, who the heck wants to use the RMB anyway? So anybody who is a small business owner may ask themselves, well, I haven't used an RMB ever and I don't ever want to. So clearly, if the Central Bank of China is going to make a success out of the central bank digital currency, they have to um, incentivize people to use digital RMB. How they're going to do that is by these blockchain-based digital trade platforms. China has digitized logistics. So what's coming, what exists already are blockchain platforms that allow you to post the uh, all of the documentation for a product along with all of the customs documents to a blockchain service. That blockchain service is tied to a code for the product. So when the product, the, pa the pallet or the container goes to the China's main ports, it zips through customs in literally 24 hours. Trade finance will be done on the platform. So if you're a buyer of products from China and you use the digital RMB, your purchase will go through this digital system and it will be cheaper and faster. And that's the hook. That's, that's the incentive to use digital RMB. And for those who say, well, I don't want to hold on to RMB, we get into something that crypto people are very comfortable with. You won't have to hold on to digital RMB. You'll convert like you do with crypto. You'll get the digital RMB. You'll spend it. It'll be turned into your purchase within hours or minutes. And you're not left sitting on a current, an open currency position, which is what many traders are familiar with. They have to buy RMB. They don't want to. The RMB sits in their account for a month. They have currency fluctuations up and down. It's troublesome, right? Yeah. All, but that's all, a separate question. That's a separate that's, question. That's the question yeah. of the value of the, of the renminbi yeah. and whether it's stable or not. Right. That's all going away. As soon as you get into this digital world, yeah. you're, you're clearing your purchase, everything is immediate, just like um, the crypto world. And that's good. Yeah. 
It's uh, Richard. It sounds as though you know, unless it, 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 as long as the Chinese Chinese authorities don't uh, mess up their introduction of this new um, digital currency, the network effects of having it in place, you know, especially since it's this is as you've described tied into China's um, uh, trading uh, networks. Uh, is going to be very powerful. These networks are going to be very powerful over the long term. So it's something that we're all going to be hearing a lot more about uh, over the coming years and probably decades, uh, given the size of the Chinese economy. Absolutely. Look, this is um, a tsunami, a tidal wave, ready to hit the financial system. Remember, all of this, all of this trade is going to go off of the SWIFT payment system. It will be not controlled by the banks. It will be immediate. Um, it's, It'll be outside the U.S. Uh, sanctions regime because they use SWIFT to, to enforce that. Absolutely. Look, the weaponization and the politicization of, of SWIFT is an old story. Many of your, your, uh, your listeners know that. Um, and this is a major break in how we use digital money. And I... I'm looking forward to this future. I think it's going to be interesting. I don't think that many in the West are sufficiently aware that this tsunami is coming. I think they, I think they're only sort of half plugged into what this really means. The bankers are in denial over the impact of crypto and what crypto can do. And, um, so the bankers have got one take on it. The, the the technical people who follow it are aware that it's big, but they don't see what it's going to do to the banking world. So it's not really hit uh, the conjunction of technology and what it means for the financial world yet, but it will. Rich, well, you, you know, your uh, comments during the last half hour have been very, very helpful in, in portraying the scale of what's going on. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. I can thoroughly recommend your book. It's a very interesting read. Um, please remind listeners when it's published. Sure. Thanks so much. Um, so listen, the book is called Cashless, China's Digital Currency Revolution. Uh, the hook is the name Cashless, which seems to work. And it will be out next month. It's not out yet, but it's coming uh, next month, uh, end of February, by the mid of March, you know, we're going through final edits right now, but it, it will be up on Amazon in Kindle format, paperback, hardcover. No, um, no audio version yet. That's going to come a little bit later, I hope. Um, but it should be out by end of February uh, mid to the mid-March latest. All right. Well, great. Well, good luck with the launch and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate your having me, and I hope your listeners had a great time. And I hope you can all go cashless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Money Review Podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. You can find a write-up of this episode at our website, newmoneyreview.com, together with links to any important documents or sites mentioned during the discussion. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support New Money Review, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website.